Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 91st episode, I'll be talking to Renee Rhodes, writer, co-host, and DM of Fate and the Fable Maidens, about reading aloud with her family. Along the way, we discuss the technical definition of a haboob, the difference between receiving praise and receiving help, and a mother's late-in-life acceptance of her inner Hufflepuff. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Editor's note. About a quarter of the way into the episode, for some reason my signal suddenly started recording from the built-in laptop mic, so if it sounds like I'm communicating through a cardboard tube, that's why. Sorry, y'all. We join this conversation already in progress. say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake. Oh gosh, okay, snowflake. I am Renee Rhodes. I am very strange, very snowy, in that I really like the movie Frozen, don't at me. (laughs) I am a freelance writer, podcaster, gamer, and community manager, and I really enjoy living life day to day, I guess, (laughs) like snowflakes do. Making your way downtown, moving fast, etc. <laughs> yeah. And you do a podcast. I do. It's called Fate and the Fable Maidens. It is an all-women D&D actual play podcast aimed at all ages. And I am the dungeon master for that. I act as fate. So I do a lot of the storytelling behind the scenes and uh, act as all of the other characters besides the main three. And I've actually been listening to this podcast. I've been flying through it because it's extremely listenable, and I would highly recommend our listeners go and check it out. I am through, I believe it is the... Now, is Temple of Brooms considered the first arc or the second arc? Because First Flight is there, too. Second arc, technically, yeah. Okay, so I'm nearly at the end of the second arc, and there are... See one, uh, th- th- I suppose three arcs proper? You're now, yes. I don't know if that's the end of Rock and Roll. Is that the end, or is that... End of Rock and Roll, we're about to launch into the fourth arc, and we did a little special Retroverse episode that's like, essentially it's a D&D setting created by Chris Locke for inspiration from the 90s, 80s, and early 2000s, and it's just a ton of fun. I basically played a character inspired by Kingdom Hearts, Power Rangers, Zoids, and also I was a skeleton. <laughs> I was just sort of nodding along going, yeah, that's good, and you're a skeleton. Yep, all of them, all together, all in the same character, rolled into one. It was fantastic. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Now, we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show, but I'm not normally an an actual play RPG person. I find them a little bit hard to follow sometimes, and sometimes the crunchiness of the rules will throw me off. But Fate and the Fable Maidens is actually, as I said in the very first episode, you know, it's very rules light. Really, the only time you'll need to clarify something is when, you know, one of the players is confused, and then it's just like, okay, by the way, this is how you as a halfling can use a finesse weapon like a rapier. And that was one of those ones where I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. But I find this extremely easy to follow, and what I really enjoy about... Fate and the Fable Maidens, is that all of your players, it's like 
and again, this is kind of, it sounds like a no-brainer when it comes to role-playing. It's like they had a couple of sentences fixed in their head that is like, okay, this is going to be how I react to a situation. And I swear I could have like constructed, after the first couple of episodes, I feel like I could have constructed each person's little sentence and it would have matched all of their actions. And so that felt just extremely true. And I don't know, is that just that, because you all are friends from way back, right? Yeah, so we really tried to create the show to be accessible for all ages. We didn't get into games until at least college, if not later. And we know that if we had started sooner, we probably would have fallen in love with it sooner. I mean, it's a great way to build community a lot of times. And we wanted to create something where parents could listen with their kids in the car or young women especially young girls could listen to the show and maybe be encouraged to go to the D&D club at their school or any other variety of situations we have a, a seven-year-old at our local game store who listens regularly and asks us Aww. when new episodes are going to come out and that means a lot to us that's really nice yeah, so we did want to create something pretty rules light that is accessible for kids, nine-year-olds, as well as 49-year-olds, and we hope that we can deal with some more difficult topics. Each of the characters really does have depth to their backstory. They haven't always just been happy-go-lucky adventurers, even though we have a ton of fun and we're generally pretty happy. We're also hoping to delve into some topics that might be more difficult, but in a way that's accessible for kids kids to listen to and hopefully that they can take with them and apply in their day-to-day -day lives. So I really think with these characters, they are my friends. We're very, very close as people. I think the only two that didn't know each other were Becca and Sam had not met each other until we started podcasting. And even then, they didn't meet in person until after the first few episodes released. So it was really cool to see their friendship grow over the past eight months, and it's continuing to grow. We're all continuing to just get closer and closer. We look forward to the time that we get to spend together, and we talk to each other about the story that we're creating. It's a really team effort. So I think when you mention those sentences that each of them have, I don't know what they are, but I know that they do. They have really built these characters to be consistent and powerful and I think that as we continue to go we get to delve into why they are that way and I as the DM am so excited to do that. <laughs> yeah and I think specifically at Twilight I remember thinking just from like day dot it's like okay impulse control issues I'm gonna do the thing I want to do and the minute anyone remotely challenges me I'm gonna go straight to intimidate with a role and I remember thinking like that was a way like, at first I was like oh okay this is interesting and my first thought was okay is this going to be would this be difficult to play with someone like this at the table and I went no this is just meaning that you're going to get to the point of whatever situation is happening very quickly and that works so even in a situation where you'd think that would lead down a path that would end up with what my friend Kit refers to as a group of murder hobos <laughs> It's like, no, this actually works. And I think part of that has to do with both the group chemistry of the characters that your players have picked and the players themselves. So I wanted to ask, considering that you're focusing on accessibility and you really want to bring people in, as a DM, how do you find the balance between I want to make a fun game for my players and I want to make something that will read in audio medium. Like, is there a little bit of kind of checks and balances there? Yeah, so I'm a writer and literature has always been something I've been very passionate about. I think there are a lot of reasons for that that we can get into a little bit later. But 
anytime I see a story, I try and take mental notes, especially for Fate and the Fable Maidens. I reference a lot of the formative shows that I watched growing up. Avatar The Last Airbender is a really big one for me of something that started out very lighthearted, but ended up having a lot of depth to it and kind of difficult character struggles, but still fun, entertaining, and something that I enjoyed watching, but my mom also enjoyed watching with us, and we would sit down and watch that week to week. So things like that. For now, it's things like Steven Universe that I sit down and kind of take notes on how I want to structure a story, and it's okay to have some episodes in there that don't necessarily progress the plot that I have going, because there's always something that is meaningful for the characters, and that's partly because we are a team telling a story, and so if I don't have something in that episode, Becca probably will have something for Meriwether, or Sam will have something for Twiddle, because like I said, there's a reason Twiddle is that way, and we get to explore that as they build their relationship and build their adventure. So sometimes I get to just sit back and let things happen, and the rest of the time I'm strategically trying to put things in the right spots. Yeah, totally. So let's start with the basics then. Whereabouts did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in Austin, Texas. Capital city, great place. Keep it weird. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend if you're going to visit Texas, Austin is a pretty good place to go. Actually, probably the place to go. I live in West Texas now, and I cannot wait to get back to Austin. Sorry, West Texas. (laughs) Yeah, I learned a West Texas word thanks to you. Tell me what a haboob is. Yeah, so a haboob, (laughs) it's not even just a West Texas word. It's pretty anywhere arid, deserty. A haboob is essentially a wall of dirt that blows in. It's different than a dust storm because a dust storm can just pick up. And a haboob is something that is carried in on the horizon. You can see it coming. And when it hits you, it's like being in a blizzard except brown and gross. No visibility and people stop to take pictures or videos on their phones. And it's very (laughs) dangerous, but very interesting. And I didn't experience that until I had moved here for the first time. And I think, you know, they're pretty rare. We have dust storms really commonly, but storms that big are less frequent. And so I've experienced two or three in my time here, eight years here. And wow, it is definitely an experience. (laughs) So growing up in Austin, as you did, what sort of kid were you? I I know I have heard the word theater kid thrown around. But feel free to elaborate on that. Oh, for sure. No, I was a theater kid. I wasn't a theater kid really until high school. I would say before that, I was just kind of awkward. And I'm sure many people feel that way. But like, you look back on your childhood, I had like, the knobbly knees, I had these white little cowboy boots, I'd go to school (laughs) with my long hair pulled into pigtails and just ready to face the day and get bullied on the playground. And I mean, I played imagining games, I think we called well, we just called them the game at recess. And it was essentially a blend of all of the things that we enjoyed Kingdom Hearts, Zoids, mermaids, we found a way to work them all into this imaginary (laughs) game. And now as an adult, I realize it was basically LARPing. I didn't know that at the time. I was not that kind of nerd. Of course, of course, of course, not that kind of nerd. Oh, how the tables have turned. But (laughs) I think that actually uh, those experiences with imagination and creating a story as we ran around on the playground helped me transition into being a writer and therefore being a gamer and also being a theater kid, but also just really helped foster my love of stories. When you talk about becoming a writer, was there a point where it sort of crystallized where you went from 
okay, I'm pretending and I'm doing this thing as the game to know I'm clearly doing a thing and I need to write that down? Or was it sort of more organic than that? Yeah, so my best friend growing up, and she's actually done the art for our podcast. I met her in fourth grade, and uh, she did all of the characters' initial design. As official as we have, because we try to keep it non-canon so that people can imagine what they will for the characters. Also, you have a shapeshifter as one of your main three, so that does help. We do, yeah. (laughs) So she could look like anything at any time. And honestly, whenever we would play a game... Joanna would sit down and draw the characters and I would kind of write a piece to accompany it. I would draw some too, but it was never my wheelhouse as much as it was hers. And so we would do kind of like accompanying pieces. She would do the artwork and I would do the writing. And that has still happened. It's changed a lot over time, but at some point in college, we did a Zutara week for Avatar The Last Airbender, and I wrote some Zutara fan fiction, and she did the pieces to accompany it, and those are still on Tumblr somewhere, so, you know, <laughs> don't go looking for them, maybe, though. I honestly I don't remember how say, bad it was. Yeah. Should we tell people to look or um, not to look? You always ask in these scenarios. I mean, I mean, you can. I put it on the internet, so that's on me. I just don't remember if it's good. Uh But it was fun, and it was something that I did with my best friend, and that's something we started really in fourth grade elementary school on the playground. So I never realized I was a writer, though, until college when I wrote my first book, because it was always just scenes or short stories or chapter ones that I had written. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. I just love how you were just able to casually drop that in there and just go, oh yeah, by the way, my first book. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Well, I mean, once you have like five and none of them have been published yet, like it, it's just kind of eh. No, no, yeah. I mean, Please. no, actually it's not eh. It's still really cool. I take that back. It's just, I do need to do some more work to make that what I want to see as an accomplishment. And I'm hoping to spend some of my time now that I've become kind of a creator and a podcaster, really focusing on the books that I've written as well and maybe getting those published down the line. But no, I did not realize that I was a writer, uh, quote unquote, and I would not have identified myself as that. And so when I decided to change my major to English in college after writing that book, my mom just said, I told you so. (laughs) It's like, no, you didn't. She goes, oh, well, I always knew it. And I was like, (laughs) how? And she said, well, in elementary school, in kindergarten, you came to me with the story that you wrote about a mermaid and her best friend, Octopus. <laughs> Again, fitting the pattern, working mermaids into everything. I really like mermaids. I fly over the ocean and I just look down, press my nose pressed against the window of the plane like, my people. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knew that about me before now. I really like mermaids. There you go. So, yeah, definitely she claims to have known that I have been a writer my whole life. It just took me forever to figure it out. So, really, it was something that I grew into, I guess. That's very cool. Remind me to link you to my friend Jessie Sharon does a mermaid webcomic. I think you'd like it. Oh, perfect. Yes, please. She's been releasing it through Twitter and it's been very good. Yay! Yeah, haven't you noticed that? That, you know, whatever it is that you turn out doing, if it's something to be lauded, then, you, you know, parents will find a way to be like, yes, you were always like that. And it's like, are you sure? You sure you're not just you know, drawing a best fit line through a very, very complex scatter plot and saying this, 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 this. Yeah, yeah of course. I knew you. I, I used to always see you taking pictures when you were a kid. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I did. I also did lots of other things. 
Yeah, I think, and my mom would, you know, love to believe she's psychic. I absolutely adore my mom. I think I, I do over-exaggerate how she sounds sometimes. <laughs> wait, how, but, wait, wait, how does she you know, sound? Is there, been... is there an accent you can do, or is it just... Oh, I, no, I don't do an accent. She actually sounds a ton okay. like me, so there's not really any difference between... I really like that my mother and I have so much in common. We can recommend TV shows or books to each other. And I've chaperoned for her students before and they say we're basically <laughs> twins. I mean, we're 30 years apart, but it's okay. We laugh the same. We walk the same. We have the same haircut. You know, I'm very proud to be a lot like my mom. And she's been one of the greatest creative supporters of me oh. my entire life. I think that part of that is because she really tried to create an atmosphere in our home where creativity was encouraged. She's always been a performer, a fine arts person, and so she would, you know, sing to us in the mornings as she cooked breakfast. She would read to us growing up. She would read all of my work and not just tell me it was good. She'd be like, oh, Renee, this oh, is bad. No. <laughs> oh, Renee, this is real bad. Oh, Renee, you need to fix this. And so the fact that my mom could be my, like, critic as well as my cheerleader was very encouraging to me because I didn't want her to just tell me oh you're doing great I wanted her to tell me how I could improve and she's always done that for me uh, she listens to every episode of fate and the fable maidens she is in episode nine and will probably be a reoccurring character so she really does she calls me after each episode and will ask me questions about the process and say you know well here's what i would have done differently she came to our first live show and basically gave us the pros and cons of how it went and we thought we did pretty well for the first live show and she did too but she also gave us some good <laughs> feedback that we'll take with us for next time so I really love that about my mom. And so, you know, she can claim that she knew my entire life that I was going to be a writer because I think she played a big role in that. So sure, I'll give it to her. Yeah, the minute you said that you were getting help, not just praise. And I think that's a very clear distinction because the minute you said, oh, my mom walked in and said this was bad. And I went, uh oh. And then, yeah, it's a lovely ending to that story. And I'm happy to hear it because I'm now at the age where I'm starting to A, meet my friend's parents and B, watch them slowly turn into those parents, both in good ways and bad. In that, for example, I saw my son standing on the couch and I said something to the effect of, this is a living room, not a jungle gym. And I heard the words freeze on my tongue and I had to then message my mother and say, it's happening. I'm turning into you. <laughs> that's what you used to tell us. And she's like, well, it's not a jungle gym. You shouldn't have been standing on the couch. I'm like, yeah. I know. I got it, yeah. Yeah. Lessons learned. And the reason I asked about the accent is because my mother and stepfather have just flown out to Australia and spent a week here, and I could hear my accent wanting to revert from whatever mutant form it is right now back to, oh, hey, that's nice, eh? And I'm just like, no, no, no it's the worst. <laughs> I could hear my sorries deepening as I spoke to them. It was only a week. I will say that it is very much like that when I visit my oh, yes. grandparents who do live further West Texas than I am now. And so if I'm ever there for more than two days, I'll start kind of getting a bit of a more Texas accent. But my mom's in Austin. She's a soprano. And so she enunciates. She's got to be ready to perform at any time. So Okay, so because you, you mentioned she was a fine entrepreneur. I didn't know she was a soprano. That's interesting. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. Taught me how to sing as well. Probably part of the reason I joined choir. Probably part of the reason I ended up being a writer. Probably part of the reason I ended up being a podcaster. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I don't know. I haven't figured out a percentage. I, <laughs> I will probably do that later because I don't want to like throw out a number and then regret giving her too much credit later on when it goes no, no, to no, her head. No, 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 because what will happen but, uh, is that she'll listen yeah. to this podcast and then she'll go, 
I see you rated me this much. By my tally, it's at least 20% more. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. That would be, that'd be pretty rough too. I do still have to see her all the time. <laughs> so you mentioned briefly about reading together with your mother, and that was one of the topics that you wanted to raise, specifically reading aloud. So would you like to speak a little bit to that? Yeah, so my mom started reading to us at a very early age, and it started with book versions of Disney movies and sea spot run kind of things. But over time, it grew to where we started diving into entire book series as a family. I'm talking a lot about my mom, so I really am going to like hone in on that. My dad is very practical, and so I get a lot of practicality from him, but he also really encouraged creativity as well. So I'll focus in on my mom. My dad is great. If my dad ever listens to this podcast, I love him too. <laughs> Hi, dad. But mom really tried to make this a tradition for us. We would sit down and read together, and to the point where... When my brother was first born, he's three years younger than me, and so three-year-old Renee would go drag one of the big Lion King books off the shelf or Pocahontas, and I'd start flipping through, and because I could not read word for word at the time, I would explain to him what was going on based on the pictures, and he was an infant, so he listened <laughs> real good. I would just tell him what the story was, and I'd pick that up from my mom reading to me. But then as we got a little bit older, we started reading full series together. And one of the first ones that we read was The Chronicles of Narnia. I don't remember how old we were at the time, but Jason was three years younger than me and we were both old enough to really follow along. That was also accompanied not long after by the Laura Ingalls Wilder Little House on the Prairie series. So that was one that we read all the way through. But it didn't stop. When we got a little bit older, we read Artemis Fowl together, and <laughs> that one stuck with us enough that we named our dog Holly after Holly Short from the series, but not just Holly Short because Holly Short is spelled like the normal Holly, H-O-L-L-Y. So we also combined it with the name of a bionicle, <laughs> H-A-H-L-I, and... So she's, her namesake is both a Bionicle and Holly Short from our Miss Fowl series. So, <laughs> but then, you know, we started reading the Harry Potter series together. And I remember that one was around when I was in, I think, fifth grade, because a lot of my friends had read it and I hadn't. So I played along with them on the playground, you know, I let them tell me what house I would be in. We all ran around with our sticks for wands that we got from trees and I didn't know what was going on so I kind of went and talked to my mom about it and she was a little bit uncertain because you know when Harry Potter first came out there was a lot of controversy about it for reasons we can't understand <laughs> but mom decided that the best course of action was to read it together because if all of her friends were telling her that there might be bad content in it if we read it together she could sit down and address those things as we went mm -hmm. And we didn't ever really encounter that in the series, but it was a good, like, safeguard for anything. It was kind of a great approach to it, too. Like, if there's bad content, we'll talk about why it's bad content. And so instead of avoiding it and keeping it out of our family tradition, we would just talk and communicate and learn from it. So we started reading the Harry Potter series together out loud, as we had with all of these books. And there was a spot in our house, we called it, it was just the study nook, and there were two desks and a big bookshelf full of books. And 
we would pick the book off the shelf and sit down in the hall with our backs up against the wall and just read for a couple hours each night. And this was an almost nightly tradition because my brother and I loved doing it. So we would ask about it regularly. And the dog was pretty young at the time, Holly. So we would throw toys for her down the hallway for her to run after them while mom read. So we were all entertained while doing this. Dad was in the other room working on things, but that was fine. He's the muggle in our family. <laughs> Most families have one, at least one. Yeah, there's, that's true. Yeah, it's, that's fine. I'm fine with being half muggle, half wizard. <laughs> so I really loved this because it was something that we could do together and we'd talk about the chapters after it ended. Like, oh my gosh, I loved when this happened or oh my gosh, I'm so nervous about what's going to happen next. And we'd always phrase it like, hey, do you want to go to Hogwarts tonight? Oh. When we talked about it at the dinner table, we'd be like, yeah, let's go to Hogwarts. And it was, we just get excited about visiting this fantasy world that we were reading aloud and experiencing together. So Harry Potter, and I can come back to it, but Harry Potter was a big deal for my entire family, aside from dad, again, <laughs> muggle. Yeah. But the rest of us, it's really been kind of a core thing. And we caught up on the Harry Potter series to where it was at the time. In fact, I believe it was not long after the fifth book came out that we caught up to that point. And so we had to look elsewhere for a new series to start. And we read the Inkheart series together at that point. We read the book Thief together at that point. And then we started the Lord of the Rings series. Oh boy. Out loud. Oh boy. Yeah. So started with The Hobbit. It was the easiest, most accessible, mm -hmm. but then we did launch into the Fellowship of the Ring, and my mom read with voices. Oh, Yeah, she was definitely that person, and it made it so engaging and interesting, and I don't think at that point, I loved reading. I was a voracious reader. I would read as much as I could. I read the entirety of like the series of unfortunate events on my own and would do book reports on each of them, and I had a lot of other series that I just really loved, including like murder mysteries at that point. But I still think that Lord of the Rings might have been a little dense for me in middle school. So reading it with my mom and my brother was a really cool thing. And then we got to like turn around and watch the movies together. And so once we finished Lord of the Rings, we basically would have Lord of the Rings movie marathons as a family and invite people over to see these movies with us and just like curl up on the couch because my mom had all of the extended editions we didn't just watch the normal ones sure sure she's the one who went to the one ring celebration and, and loves lord of the rings so we all got so invested in that and doing it together and we got through that entire series pretty much i think in time to kind of jump back to harry potter for the sixth and seventh books and the seventh book came out, I believe I was a freshman in high school. I was 14 and I could have easily read it on my own, but I didn't. We got the book and we started reading through it aloud. And I think there were some things about it that were killer because some of my friends picked it up and read it overnight. Oops. So they knew things that happened in the end that I didn't because I was waiting for my family to get there. And it's a slower process to read it through aloud. You can only make it through two or three chapters a night if you're reading for several hours. And we did. We just sat together and we experienced it together because we'd had all these conspiracy theories the whole way along. And so seeing how it panned out and 
crying together at some of the deaths and the more emotional scenes and cheering together as they became victorious. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd read the book alone. And so that was really the last book that kind of had that tradition. I started high school and got caught up in theater, became that theater kid, and suddenly I had rehearsals most nights and plays and my brother got involved in sports in middle school and on into high school and it just it's not that it fell apart it's just that we didn't have the time to fit that in anymore but it was nice to go out with kind of that rewarding bow on top yeah. uh ending things where you started it kind of yeah yes exactly and having spent all of this time journeying through these series together even though we could have read it on our own it was something we got to experience as a family and that made it very special a very special memory all of these books really yeah and there's so much good stuff in there i mean anyone who's you know gotten into audiobooks or in situations like that where You've taken a book that you've known. I did it with the Catherine Kerr books on a whim. I went and dug out the out-of-print audiobooks and just listened to see, like, well, I wonder how this is or how this person incorrectly pronounces names I've been pronouncing in my head since I was 13. And what you find when you listen to an audiobook you're familiar with is the beginnings of books take a lot longer than you remember. Because <laughs> you remember mm -hmm. when the stuff happens, not, hey, there's this prologue about this weird pre-reincarnation place where nothing makes sense. Yeah, sure, yes, it takes forever in the audiobook. But this idea of delayed gratification through the Harry Potter books, like you said, you know, your friends were reading it overnight and you're like, shh, shh, I'm not there yet, it's okay. And I think something in the performance of reading it aloud, there really is something special there. And I think it's really interesting that that hung on as long as it did with your family and hung together even as you all got older and had your own schedules and stuff. And I think it's really lovely. Thank you. And I really do think, you know, if I dig deep enough, I could say, well, audiobooks were one of the reasons why I started podcasting and reading aloud with my family was basically audiobooks. So that audio form has always been a part of my life. And of course, when I read now, the university that I've worked for for the past few years has a writing carnival every year where they focus on a book series and they've featured Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, and Harry Potter, as well as Princess Bride. But, you know, the first three are books that were included in this reading marathon that my family had. And so I got to sit up on stage for a 24-hour reading marathon oh. and read excerpts of these books that were really special to me and read with voices like getting to do a Dobby voice from Harry Potter or getting to read the Ride of the Rohirrim uh, in yeah. the Lord of the Rings series. Oh gosh, I got the most epic excerpt that year. I am telling you because I also got to read the Death of the Witch King and it was just, Ooh. oh, gold. It was gold and I just, oh, so much fun. And then, you know, this year for Princess Bride, I got to read a very long Humperdinck excerpt, <laughs> which, you know, whatever. But I got to read with this, like, deep, sultry, silly prince voice for so long. And I love it. I love it. And that's because my mom read books to me that way growing up. And so... I get to do that now, just in a different way, in a different medium. And occasionally talk about, you know, fighting an orangutan in the zoo of death, or tracking yes, someone exactly. was a, a falcon on a cloudy day, or something to that effect. And it was, it was very much an excerpt from the, the zoo Ugh, of death, yeah, so there was grim. a lot, a lot of time spent the, there, yeah. Get to the good parts. 
But yeah, there is something about, when you talk about different voices, and I know there are conflicting schools in these kind of things, you know, in the audiobook kind of listening audience, where people will talk about how, oh, they prefer just one reader. And I'm like, no, I kind of want that theater of the mind. Like one of those times when on a whim, like I saw that Great Expectations was $2 on Audible. And I'm like, I've finished my book for the month. What the hell? It's 35 hours. I've got a long commute. Let's go for this. And I did it. And because the reader, it was almost like watching a Blackadder episode where, you know, everyone has a distinct and different voice. And just from the audio, I can hear conversations happening. And that made it so much more accessible for me as a modern reader, where looking at the text, I probably would have been challenged a fair amount and it would have taken me out. And as I get older, I find that I when reading period stuff, like, you know, your, your Penguin classics or whatever, if I'm not connecting with the writing itself because of, let's say, an archaic tone or something, I actually, I remember explaining this to someone and they looked at me like I was, you know, like stating the complete obvious, but I specifically gave a voice to the narrator in my head that was not my voice. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I found it easier to follow. Yeah. And I think that it's something that I, I strive for in Fate and the Fable Maidens, and I want to improve at, is it's definitely harder to stick with voices when you record every couple of weeks. So what I've started doing is just keeping, like, voice memos on my phone for the different characters so that I can kind of pull up what they sound like and remind myself instead of trying to, like, jump back to it from possibly months ago, depending on what character it is and where they're brought back. So I really like it, and I can totally understand people preferring it one way or another but for me personally I think back on my mom's Gimli voice (laughs) or her Gandalf voice and it just makes me smile to think about so it's something that I want to take with me into the projects I have and that's my personal preference for it and that's really great so thinking forward I mean I imagine you have read many books not aloud since then yeah so thinking of a book or a series that you've read since that you think would go well in that format is there any that jump to mind oh gosh and you could just rapid fire if you want don't think about the perfect example yeah unless you do have a perfect example at which point go ahead go nuts i mean i actually since then have read the percy jackson series i didn't read that until college but i really enjoyed that i think that would be a fun one to kind of feature that i've read a lot of other series here and there i've read some that I, or I've listened to some on audiobook and I really appreciate those as well. And I think that there's some interesting bits, you know, the one character will be just a little bit lower mm-hmm. than the other character who's a little bit higher in the same reader's voice. I have a lot of fun listening and reading because I do kind of reread scenes to see what I can visualize and see what I can hear and hear those characters different voices and see the scene as it's been painted before me and I do think a big part of that is because of the history of reading books aloud and that's really cool well we've still got a little bit of time and I feel like that was a nice natural ending but I don't want to cut us off because I'm enjoying this conversation so yeah here we are years later after kind of wrapping up this tradition and I think it's still really impacting our lives. My mom, my brother, and I traveled to Harry Potter World for the first time last year actually. Mom was a bit devastated because she found out she was a Hufflepuff. (gasps) Not because she dislikes Hufflepuffs, but because she knows that my brother and I are both Ravenclaws and I think she always just wanted us all to be in the same house. Um, Which is a very Hufflepuff feeling, I gotta say. 
I want all my people to be together. I'd be the same. Right? I know, I know. The more you know about my mother, the more you see her as a Hufflepuff, for sure. In a good way. She's a great, great person. Very loyal, very caring. But we all went together, and she got shirts printed for all of us. Uh, Ravenclaw for me and my brother. Hufflepuff for her. We bought all of our wands. We rode the rides over and over and over again. We got butterbeer at least once a day while we were there, and we spent several days there. So it was really a very good experience and then the year following we actually went again with her high school students and I got to go as a chaperone that year so I wore my same shirt that she'd made for us and she started out in the airport when we were leaving Austin and flying to Los Angeles she was already talking to all of the students about what house they were in and whenever they'd say oh, I'm a Hufflepuff, she'd go, oh, me too, and then give them a hug. And, you know, she'd feel so much better knowing that there were so many other Hufflepuffs out there that she loved. And, of course, I'd try and list some good names for her, but she wanted to actually make those connections. And so she felt better the second year about being a Hufflepuff, really owned it more, really kind of said, yeah, I'm Julie Rhodes, and I am a Hufflepuff. (laughs) And so... We got to Harry Potter World. We only went for a day. So we were kind of doing a ton of the experience while we were in LA. All of the students are on this charter bus and the Hogwarts castle comes up on the horizon. And my mom stands up in the middle of the bus aisle and is just like pointing out the window (laughs) and looking back at the students and smiling and saying, there it is, there it is. Do you see it? Do you see it? And then she turns around to all of them and says, we're going to go ride the Harry Potter ride. And bless all of these students, all 45 people, chaperones included. She marched through the park to ride the Harry Potter ride first thing that morning. (laughs) I believe it's, is it Escape from Hogwarts? I forget the exact name of the ride now. But she took all of these people and almost every single one of them rode. But every single one came to that ride first thing in the morning because Julie Rhodes decided that that's what we needed to do. Julie Rhodes Hufflepuff said, this is happening. This is happening. And, you know, if Julie Rhodes says it, we will follow. (laughs) It was really cool because that community, like that experience is something that I got to see her excitement for grow over time, especially since Harry Potter was one of the ones she was nervous about reading. And that's why we read Lord of the Rings together is we just found these passions for these stories. I know for a fact that my mom has on her bedside table the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy and her Harry Potter wand from Hogwarts, from Harry Potter World. And it's just, that's something that is ours. Dad did not come on those trips. Again, the muggle. But that's okay. We miss him for sure, but we got to really enjoy the adventure that we had lived together. And it, I don't know if he would have enjoyed it as much because it, it was something that we really experienced, just the three of us. And I think that's something that I'll continue seeing from my mom for a really long time. When I first sat her down to play Dungeons and Dragons with uh, I was me about to say, last yeah, Christmas. I'm thinking there's going to be yeah. a crossover here, and there is. There is, there is. And that's one of the reasons why she became so supportive of the podcast because she saw the kind of story we were going to be telling. And I actually ran games for my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family last Christmas. And I ran very loose games, character building, and the full game in under an hour and a half. Wow. 
but I'd basically say, okay, what do you want to be? It can be anything. It can be any person. And just tell me like what you want to fight with and we'll make a character from there. So I'd use Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter as kind of like a base for that. My mom said, well, I want to be an elf. I want to be an elf princess. Of course you do. I said, <laughs> okay, yeah. She said, I want to be like Galadriel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course you do. I said, okay, yeah. great. Yeah, let's make you Galadriel. So we essentially created a sorceress character for her, um, whose name was Julianne, because it was very close to Julie, I guess. <laughs> yep, yep. It's fine. <laughs> We're very proud of her. And she chose a wand as her arcane focus because of Harry Potter. And those <laughs> things all tied in very, very transparently tied into her character. So you made your mother's first OC. And I expect to see it on AO3 any day now. (laughs) Yes, it was fantastic. And so she took all of these things from the adventures that we'd had together to apply to the adventure at that table. And so when I worked with her to create the character for Fate and the Fable Maidens, you know, I just kind of threw some things at her and she'd throw them back. And she ended up deciding on the name Melody Morningstar for this character. Good name. And really it was... She was just in town the weekend we were recording, so I couldn't give her much, but she plays a kind of a reporter, a news anchor in the capital city of our world. And so I really have the opportunity to bring that back and record things with her later on. And she chose the name Melody Morningstar because it sounds like a news anchor name, but also because she's a choir teacher and she likes the use of melody in her character's name. And then Morningstar is also a weapon. So it's I was about to say, yeah. Look at how this all ties it's, together. It's a beautiful leading light in the sky and it's also a big heavy ball that could squish you. <laughs> yes, yes. And so she brought so much to that, even though I gave her, you know, the span of five lines, really, just a couple of seconds of airtime, because that's all I could really fit in so impromptu. But she has taken the creativity that we grew as a family together and applied it in everything she's done since in the way she interacts with kids in her classroom in the way she interacts with the creative projects that I'm making and putting out in the world daily and I think it's a very powerful thing to see the influence she has not just on my life for the better and for the works that are inspired by the things that we've done as a family but also the way she daily inspires students to go out in the world and create and be artistic and find this adventure of their own. And you know what? I think that's a really lovely place to end it. Renee, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? So they would go to raydeanne.com and that's R-A-E-D-E-A-N-N-E. It is a combination of my nickname and both my mom and my middle name. That is basically my hub for everything that I'm doing, and it's still kind of a work in progress, but I'm building it up to include links to all of the creative things I'm a part of, as well as resources for how to contact me on freelance writing work and community management and inquiries related to such things. Or you can find me on Twitter at RayDNR. And then, of course, our podcast is at FateFMCast on social media all across the board or at FateFMCast.com. And listeners, definitely go and check that out. Like I said, I plowed through about half of it in a day. And if nothing else, (laughs) if nothing we've said has got your attention, there's also a bunch of really good D&D 
color crayon puns. <laughs> yes, which do come up again and again because I love them way too much. <laughs> puns are fun, y'all. Puns are fun. They're extremely good. All right, Renee. So thank you so much for coming on and this has been great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated talking about it. And I, I feel like I remember growing up all of the like my hero projects and I would kind of alternate between my mom and my dad just because they had such different impacts and influences on my life. So it's nice to come and just kind of brag about my mom and what a wonderful person she is and how much she's really brought to my life. So thanks. Thank you very much to Renee Rhodes for her time. For Renee's signature cocktail, she gave an extremely good description of what she was expecting, and I'm just going to read it in its entirety. I don't drink much, but I adore fruity, sweet flavors when I do. Top spirits would be tequila or rum. Strawberries, mangoes, and peaches are my flavor preferences. I never drink malt-based beverages, and my cocktail aesthetic is that I picture myself walking down a spiral staircase in a floor-length gown with a beautiful drink in one hand. No clue why, but I try to stick to drinks that suit that image. Well, Renee, I will do my very best to fit that image. I took Renee's advice, and I have an up drink that will look very elegant, but also include strawberries. Here's the kicker, though. A lot of strawberry liqueur is not very good. Often it's way, way too sweet. And a lot of the cheaper brands, in combination with the high sugar, have a really acidic quality that I think tends to overwhelm a drink. But I will let you in on a little secret. There is Chambord, which is a black raspberry liqueur that gives you all the fruit flavor you need, but is a lot more balanced. Also, the bottle looks like a potion that you would pick up in a video game that would refresh some of your health, but not all of it. And so I present the Merryweather. Take four strawberries and muddle in the base of a shaker with the back of a spoon or a stick. Remember, when you're muddling, you want to bruise the fruit and soften it, but you don't want to pulp it. Add ice, one ounce of spiced rum, one ounce of Chambord, and a quarter ounce of simple syrup. Shake vigorously for about 30 seconds and strain into a champagne flute. Top up with three ounces of brew champagne. A drink to inspire your creativity and let your imagination run away with you. Enjoy! is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. 
New episodes are released every second Wednesday with a bonus episode in between. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathaview at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathaview, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. Hey, you know that audio problem that happened earlier? Wouldn't it be great if I could buy a new laptop that didn't do that? You can make that happen. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating and help people find the show. Also, you can write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathaview, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one with every song I've ever used, including this one. It's Hallow Fate by Jen Wigmore. I found it especially fitting, considering Renee's role on Fate and the Fable Maidens. I update the playlist every week as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get the new music in your ears. For those who might be wondering, I will be continuing with the Unbroken Circle, but at the moment the scheduling has gotten a little bit tough with the end of the year, so I've returned to regular episodes for a while until we can completely, well, close the circle. Next week, it's the return of Andrew Isla, and we're going to talk about some owls. Join me, won't you? The nails are making the talent thing very evident, and I'm just like, that's Thank just you. cool. And they match your hair. <laughs> Thank you. That, I mean, that's really goals. Yeah, totally. When I was laid off from a job for the job before this one, and so I had like three months where we were getting ready for the baby to be born, and I happily went wild with nail polish, and so I spent most of my days just kind of glancing down at my hands and going, "Look, I'm so. It looks so good." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's very, it's great. Yeah, before I had to then corporate up and take it off. But it was a a wonderful three months. (laughs) So normally we start with a conversation like this one, just kind of where we're just talking about stuff and drinking terrifying blue drinks. What was that? It's Kool-Aid Blasts. (laughs) Okay. Because this was part of my childhood, so. Well, mine too. And uh, I was raised in Canada and came over here when I was like 20. So, yes, it's been a long time since I've had Kool-Aid. I was just looking at it like, wait a minute. <laughs> it actually looked like in an early episode of Futurama, they go to a planet with water people, and at one point they're, they're like these blue glowing bottles when they sleep, and it looked like that for a second, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, my morning has been making coffee extremely quietly, and because uh, um, the way our house is, is it's, it's the downstairs is the living room and kitchen, and upstairs is sort of an attic converted into a bedroom. And there is a sleeping 16-month-old and my sleeping partner upstairs. And what I learned when we moved into this house is that if I run the coffee grinder, it echoes through the entire household. So I have quickly learned that I have to make what is essentially a silenced coffee grinder, which is that (laughs) I take the little coffee grinder, I fill it up with beans, and then I wrap it in this like big woolly blanket that we have, like three, four layers around the outside, and and I hold it like this, and I reach through and I press the button, and it goes... <laughs> and no one can hear it more from like a foot away. <laughs> hey, if it works, 
Yeah, because I have been told that if I run a coffee grinder before 6 in the morning, I will be murdered. So, and I, and I think it's a fair deal, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd probably be in that boat too, you know? Mm-hmm. So I can't argue yeah. with that logic. Yes, I may be fed too, said coffee grinder. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Yes. It would be bad. One of the reasons I'm a little tired is because last night I went, I moonlight as a photographer outside of my day job. And so a friend of mine had in Melbourne, uh, they'd said, my audio company is doing a product launch in Sydney at the studio. I can get you on the door. Can you just go and take some photos? We'll pay you. And I'm like, you've said the magic words. And so I turned up not knowing like, okay, is this going to be like a party where I'm meant to be roaming and taking pictures of people? Is it like, you know, it's audio. Is it going to be music? And it's going to be a big thing. No, it turns out it was um, a studio tour and going through this like recording set and it was actually really interesting and I got to shoot with it and, and when I got there I went to my contact I'm like hi I'm Lucas you know I said do I need a lanyard or anything because I don't want to go anywhere I'm not supposed to go mm-hmm. and she looked at me and she went no you'll be fine and it didn't like worry me or anything and and so then we go through the thing and at the end I've shot everything and I'm just they said I could eat some of the food which is always great when you're working at an event so I've like loaded up on these tiny little burgers and I'm eating them and one guy from the talk walks up to me and he goes Oh, are you from the paper? And I went, I'm sorry? Oh, no, no, I'm just, uh, I'm a friend of, they asked me to come and shoot. And the reason I realized that they asked if I'm from the paper is because I'm going to hold this up to the camera and see if we can see it. Because, you see that? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to see and then it's going to blow out a little bit. But it is a Daily Bugle Peter Parker press pass that I affixed to my uh, work <laughs> printer card and door pass. Because I, uh, my my little son was Spider Man for Halloween, and so I, I wore my Peter Parker lanyard. Oh, good. And so, I left it on there, and I was then mistaken for an actual freelance reporter. So, uh, social engineering, kids, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I got home and I, I told my girlfriend, and I was like, you know, they thought I was press. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, I'm from the papers, see? And she's like, oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, apparently. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. J. Jonah Jameson's name carries a lot of weight in Sydney, I guess. 